Nashville.net with your host, the Honky Tonk Hitman, Mike Rogers. is taking all of our legends. I mean, Prince? Really? Really? I mean, we've already lost Glenn Fry, David Bowie, Merle Haggard, and now Prince? Golly! I mean, we've also lost Gary Shandling, Alan Rickman, Patty Duke, China, and Vanity. I mean, two months before Prince, Vanity! Golly! This is ridiculous. I mean, Prince is an icon. His music, literally, a hundred years from now, people will still be talking about Prince songs. It's just crazy. Uh, rest his royal purpleness. I mean, I, I... And I don't mean that... I'm not being condescending. I, I, I truly was, am a huge Prince fan. Um, Game of Thrones is back on with season six, guys. <laughs> Uh, I was a little upset because they said, you know, we were going to know John Jon Snow's fate at the end of the episode. That was one of the ways they drew us into this particular episode. And I kept waiting for it and waiting for it. And I kept thinking, okay, oh, whoa, 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 at this particular point, he's going to open his eyes. And, and all of that didn't happen. Um, but you know what did happen? Uh, it, it dawned on me I was I, that 100% I am a certain he will be back. Now, whether it's in the second episode or the third episode or the fourth episode or whatever else, I don't know. But I do know that he will be back. And my logic is based on the fact that, that they are not going to pay him a boatload of money to sit there and play a corpse. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, he, he, he's going to come back. And when he does, there's going to be hell to pay. And there, there were no pun intended, but or maybe there was. But regardless, he will be back. I would like to see him come back and... Uh, Butcher all those guys. Um, the Red Witch. Ooh, ooh. She showed us at the end what she really looks like when she took off her dress and got naked and got in the bed. And uh, All I can say is it just reminded me of that old Willie Nelson song. Last night at 2 I came in with a 10 and at 10 I woke up with a 2. Uh, I got 20-20 vision when I ain't drinking, but Lord, when I've had me a few. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did. could you imagine? Oh, no, no, no. That's, she was just, ooh like creepy, ugly, scary, you know, but hey, hey, if she can bring back Jon Snow, uh, you know what, I'll kind of, I'll scrunch my eyes up and I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever, but you know, I want Jon Snow to come back, so obviously she's going to have to be the one to do it, wish she could bring back Prince, but you know, she's not real, so, ugh. 
Anyway, I'll get off the whole Game of Thrones thing. Love it. I'm going to continue to talk about it and give you my own little, you know, twists and thoughts on it. But I uh, hope you can live through that. Um, have you ever wondered what it would take to get a song to number one on the charts? You know, obviously, you got to write a good song. You got to have a good team together. And part of that team is a promotional team. And, uh, you know, they are they are the ones that call the, ra- the radio stations and, and get them to play the songs and, and get them to. They are. That's what happens. So today, my guest is Adrian Michaels, and he's the National Director of Promotion for uh, Warner Music Nashville. It used to be called Warner Brothers Records, I don't know, but but now it's Warner Music Nashville. And uh, I've known Adrian for 22 years. I met him back in 1994 when I was giving boxing lessons to to Music Row executives, and at that time I was learning the the, the craft of songwriting and learning the ropes uh, on Music Row, a publishing company that was run by Bobby Randall, uh, who, who... Used to play guitar, lead guitar for Sawyer Brown. Um, loved it, and and uh, and, I, and, I, and that's how I met Adrian. Anyway, Adrian, Adrian thought I was going to be the next Dwight Yoakam. I mean, to the point that at one point we were at a racquetball court, uh, and he was uh, trying to teach me all of these like Dwight moves, and, and, and this is how you, when you're on stage and you're performing, this is how you you need to look, and this is how you need to you know whatever and. It was odd at the time, you know, but hey, hey, I was young. I would have put on a pink tutu and danced like Pee Wee Herman for a record deal. Uh, But, you know, you do what you got to do. You want to know what it takes to make a music business or or, or get a song to the top of the charts or, or you just sit back and you listen to my interview with Adrian Michaels. Let's do this thing. Everybody from Warner Brothers goes to breakfast at this place and hangs out because it's close to their building. And Harold Shedd and these guys all go to have drinks after hours at this place. And mm-hmm. I literally figured who everybody was, and I figured out their grazing and milk runs. And that's how I found all the people because they wouldn't answer their front door or take a meeting with me. See, the book they... that I was thinking of that you were referring to, they used to put out this, this hard copy book that they sent. To, I, I don't know if it was clubs or managers or something. Oh, yeah, the directory, music business directory. That always, Okay, yeah. Yeah, they would sell you that. But if you called the number and said, I'm Adrian Michaels, you don't know me, they weren't taking my phone call. <laughs> but if you sat next to them and bought a beer and drank a beer and told them a joke, they bought you a beer and talked to you. It was the craziest thing. <laughs> so, okay, so we, we're, we're into this thing now. I, I, so, I need you. Yeah. So, you know... The, the, well, I would say we could shut that just in case sure. there's any noise. Sure. Um, so literally, you, you, you drove into town. Where did you drive into town from? Uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. But, but I didn't just drive into town. Before that, I had a country band that wanted me to manage them. Pony Express. Pony Express. And I told them, the only thing I know country is Willie Nelson. I didn't know anything. <laughs> so they made me a deal, and they bought me the top 20 records at the time, CDs, and in every CD, there was you'd open the cover and it would say, this is their record label, this is their lawyer, this is their producer, mm-hmm. this is who played on the records and that. So I made a giant graph that just said, okay, this guy produces this and this and this and this, and they work here. And I figured out the 20 most successful people and all of the parallels and wound up from all of that. Then I bought the little book on where to find people. I remember climbing through a window at the old Mercury Records to get to Harold Shedd while the band 
<laughs> the band distracted some lady that was at the front, June or something, whatever her name was. Nobody got past her. She, it was her job to stop everybody, and you couldn't see Harold. So, But I knew if I put a CD on Harold's desk with a note, he'd see it. So they talked to her, and I went through a side window and in. We did everything. That Breaking is into crazy. Nashville. Yeah, but we got it and eventually got signed to Jimmy Bowen with Capitol Records. But <laughs> that was with kids from Cleveland, Ohio that didn't know anybody. But you were a heavy metal guy. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I used to play with Trent Reznor. Yeah, you had long... What? Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I grew up playing in bands with Trent Reznor and auditioned and came in, like, third place for Prince's band at one time. Sheila E. caught me playing. So, yeah, I knew nothing of country. So I started thinking about that. You know, we, we've known each other for, oh, 22 years? Yeah. God! That is nuts! <laughs> nuts! See, and how did we meet? It how did we meet? How did I see you or meet you? When I moved to town, uh, Scott Borchetta actually helped me get my first job. I wonder if I had a job as a record promoter at the time, but I was out everywhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I met you, but you reminded me of like the next Dwight Yoakam. You were just so frigging cool. I love Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, I was yeah. just, I still remember you going to my racquetball court just to talk about, okay, if you're gonna play this song, here's what I'm gonna do. And you must have thought, this guy's crazy. I, I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't, I, here was the deal. I, I do remember that. I remember that particular, <laughs> the particular session. So you were working with me, and, and, I, and my vibe is very much Dwight Yoakam and Merle Haggard, the kind of songs that I right. perform. Yeah, it had nothing and, to do with boxing. Yeah, it had nothing. I didn't even yeah, know yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, and well, we ended up, we ended up, I think I ended up training you or something. You did, and helped corner the night of my one and only fight. No, I was talking about 94. I remember you showed up at Boxer Size. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, with Lee Wood. Yeah, Boxer. yeah. Th that's where I met you from. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was where I met Doug Johnson actually, and Russ Zabitson. I paid you guys to make me chop wood and make me run around in a circle, <laughs> call me the fat kid, and punch me. And I showed up every week and gave you guys money to do that. So, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, yeah, so that explains it. That's where we would have met. Okay. Yeah, yeah that was 94. Yeah. 1994. And then I remember, we, we anyway, I, 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 yeah, I was heavily influenced by that. And then we were going to do a showcase or something, and we were in Yeah, because I was working for Skip Stevens Promotions at the time. So I was an yep. indie promoter working for all the different labels, so I had good connections to get you a showcase. And I just can't remember where things went from there. How, how, much, how much time was that between... When you were crawling through windows trying to meet Harold Shedd and then? Was it um, a year? Boy, no. Okay, so I got a band a record deal first and then moved down here for that record deal. But the band got sued by their former manager because I was their manager now. Mm -hmm. They hadn't talked to him in over two years. He disappeared, didn't do anything. So you got so something going. They I took yeah. the band on and got him a record deal with Jimmy Bowen and was handling them, and then this guy popped up and sued them with a cease and desist on their record label and everybody involved. Nobody was allowed to do anything, or he was suing everybody, and he kept doing lawsuit after lawsuit and held up their career. They had on their demo tape, Would You Could You Be My Baby Tonight. Oh, my god! Bobby Ann Mason. There was four songs. All four songs became number one records that were theirs first, with them actually singing it as good as who put them out and they were really hot at the time but they so they sat on a shelf long enough that uh, Jimmy Bowen and Renee Bell if anyway Renee Bell hears this she dropped them because she told me there wasn't a hit there wasn't a hit on that tape and I love you Renee but 
I still remember that. <laughs> so, okay, so it must have been a couple of years after that, a few years? Yeah, while well, they got sued, I moved here, and when they got sued, I had nothing, no way to make a living. Okay. So, yeah. And, and that's when you got the book. and that, that, that Well, I got the book, I think, to first get the record deal. So there, I guess I'm skipping a phase. One was me as a kid in Cleveland in my 20s, not knowing anybody in Nashville, trying to get a record deal for a country band out of Nashville, which mm -hmm. seems crazy. But on Brook Park Road, where the guys were from, that's where the Ford plant was. Okay. So it was completely populated with folks from West Virginia and Appalachia. Mm -hmm. And that area, country was the biggest, even though it was a rock and roll city, country ruled. They used to pack out nightclubs. It was right there at the Chevy and the Ford plant. So the band was awesome. They were great. Damn. Well, so... And then, then that's... So at some point I moved here, there was a, a promoter. I got the band to do the Colgate Showdown or whatever, and we came okay. in second place in the country and played with Kenny Rogers, introducing them on TV at some theater. But if you place one year, you can't do it the next year. So somehow we did that, one second place, and the promoter there thought I was so full of BS and so good at BSing that he's like, if you'll move to Nashville, I've got a job for you. And I believed him. So okay. I, we sold everything, and, and me and my wife packed up a U-Haul ourselves. How old were you? 28, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Sold everything, moved here because I had a job in the music industry. And I was communicating and everything with them. So get an apartment, move all my stuff in. We don't have a job because I thought I had a job. <laughs> And I showed up there on the Monday that I told them I was coming to town, and they were just, like, confused. Like, we didn't think you'd really take us serious. And I was like, well, I sold everything, and I moved here. And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. We really don't have a job. We talked a big game, but we don't have a job for you. Oh, that's terrible. Yes. That is terrible. Yep. So what did you do? We lived on the savings we had up until the last time when I ran out of money. I, I had gotten a job as a as a promoter. Well, first of all, I got the job. Like, right when we ran out of money, mm -hmm. I wound up getting a job. Scott Borchetta helped me find a job. and uh, But you had to work two weeks until you get paid. Mm -hmm. And actually, the day I got the call that I got a job, I had just signed up to be a Domino's or Pizza Hut delivery guy. Because okay. I would work at night. My theory was I'd rather work for free at a great company, emptying garbage cans, doing whatever, being in a studio, mm -hmm. being at a record label, and then just go hustle pizzas all night to make a living. Then nothing take, wrong with it. Then man. take a crappy job. Oh, no, man, you do everything you can to survive. I've got good survival stories, too, to tell you. All right. But uh, um, I'd rather do something at night that so I could do exactly what I wanted to do music business during the day. Well, so so you were an artist. You had an artist heart, obviously. If you're if you're oh, in a yeah. band and doing music and stuff right. of that nature, what was it about having the you know wanting to work in the music business but not as an artist? What was it that drove you in that direction? I was a drummer. Well, yeah, but I mean, you the drove some hero. I drove. I, I was the one that set up the PA and set up the drums, and I was the one early in my band's career that booked our gigs, got us paid, planned rehearsals, so made the set list. I wound up being better at all of those other things than mm -hmm. drumming. I was, I was a good <laughs> drummer, but I wasn't a Nashville elite drummer, or a, you know, I mean, I was I was good at what I did. I made a living full time playing drums, but I found it fun. Becoming the agent, making the album covers, making all the connections. You so the brains behind the band. Uh, there's a lot of brains in the band. I just had the best line of BS. 
you need that. And to be a record man, you got to be able to talk. And I was the best talker in the bunch. So okay. it, it gave me the job. There may have been smarter people in the band. I just talked better. Okay. Yeah. So you had a good game. I had a good game. That's what I, I had the hustle. So you, and, and that, that whole hustle thing that you had, that's what took you into the music business. That's what made you want to succeed in the business aspect of music. Oh, absolutely. I was always enamored by ever, the producers, the record. From the time I was a kid looking at rock and roll magazines mm-hmm. and reading every album and every liner note. I mean, that's all I ever... I've never in my life imagined doing anything but this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Plan, is, plan A was to be in the music business and plan B was... To be in the music business. That's it. There was no other plan. But the, but the, the irony is, the first part was to be as an artist, and then you were like, you know what? I think I see another opportunity here. Yeah. yeah. You know, okay. Still, I got a drum kit. I still go hit the drums if I want. You still play at yeah. all? I mean, like out? Just started again after I took a 20-year break, but nothing stops you from playing music. That's it's just true. hard to get paid playing music. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of truth that too. All right, let's go for one thing because you'll like this story. Okay. If this is about people moving to town and the hustle and... Yeah. So when I first came to town, I worked for two weeks, but you don't you don't get paid, you know, for the first two weeks. So literally on Friday, I was going to get paid. We were out of money to feed me and my wife and I didn't have enough gas to get from my apartment to work to get my paycheck. Mm-hmm. So I had to call another buddy and he came over and we rolled pennies and nickels and stuff and made $7 or something, which got us two crystals <laughs> for me to feed me and my wife and put enough gas to go get a paycheck. And then the next day the guy calls me, he goes, man, you, did you get paid? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I need that money back. He was like, it's the only money I had. So it was oh, like, wow. it's that spirit of people that move to town that help each other. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So was the bruschetta job the Skip Stevens? Uh, he got me at Skip, yeah. Skip had somebody going on maternity leave. I believe her name was Gypsy. And uh, she was going out, so they needed somebody. And mm-hmm. he called Skip. He said, once again, we go back to the hustle. I've got some kid here that is so good at talking, you've got to hire him. Okay. <laughs> and, and you just went in. And... Uh, and he got me the job, yeah. I think it was my lawyers got me a five-minute meeting with Borchetta. And I said, man, I'm really good at getting records played. And he said, well. Was that the truth? Oh, yeah. I had, been, <laughs> I had interned in the pop world and did stuff. But I didn't know if you were like yeah. making that up. No, no. Like, I was I'm trained, I was trained by, I, I learned from Frank DeLeo, who was Michael Jackson's manager and the head okay. of Sony, and Steve Popovich, who ran Cleveland International, which did Meatloaf, and Bill Catino from here in town. was Cleveland had a very big hotbed of record men, and that's kind of what I wanted to be. So I... I hung around them and literally emptied garbage cans and typed invoices and sure. anything you could to learn the trade. So with Scott, and I said, I need a job. He said, we're not, I get records played. He said, well, we don't have a job. I said, you don't have to pay me. <laughs> and he said, well, we kind of have to pay. I was like, no, honestly, what, you know, you, are all of your records getting all the airplay you need? He's like, well, no, you always need airplay. I was like, precisely. I'll come in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and I'll work for free. For how many hours? Eight hours a day? I, he didn't give me the free job. He went, He said, well, we don't have anywhere to put you. So I got out of the chair, and I walked out of his office, and there was a prize closet where they kept CDs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, I won't bother anybody. I'll put a chair, and I'll sit in this room and make phone calls. And he said, well, we don't have a phone line in there. And I said, well, they make Radio Shack, and Radio Shack makes a 100-foot phone extender. So... I will go buy my own phone extender to plug it in so I can sit in that closet and work for free. 
three days a week. Damn, you are a hustler. So he couldn't hire me, but he got me the job with Skip to get me out of his hair. Wow. Yeah. And you weren't taking no for an answer. You're like, for everything, you for everything you give me, I'm gonna give you something back. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, that's this business. That's what you gotta do. Wow. So. Then you started working for him, and you, I remember you doing radio promotions. I remember you being at that job. Right. And Work then I guess Skip. somehow... That's no. where we met. And then yeah. from there, Joe Galani and uh, RCA hired me, moved me to Texas, gave me my first big label gig. And then from that, I... Uh, Why were you in Texas? I was in Texas about seven or eight years. I worked on a cattle ranch for a summer in, in Texas, White Wright, Texas. Where is that? I have, it's right outside of Dallas. It was okay. like 30, 45 minutes outside of Dallas. Yeah, but it was like, it was so hot in Texas. Like, literally, you could hear the heat. Like, right. you walk outside, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that hot. It I say it's Africa hot there. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, so I worked for them for a while and then went from there, managed some acts, and then wound up working at Curb, going from a regional to the national to a VP to senior VP. And then did some things in pop, and then wound up here at Warner Brothers. So, I mean, I've been doing nothing but getting records played for the last 30 years. Wow. So that's, that's what you do. You, that's what you, I do. You know every single person in, that plays records if, across the country. If they can put a hillbilly on the air, I can get it done. Yes, <laughs> indeed. I make hillbillies rich. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the, obviously the music business is quite different than it was 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, the dynamic, the whole, everything about it. So what would you say are the, the biggest differences between now and 20 years ago? Oh, well, it's, the music business itself is just changing completely. I mean, it went from a product-based business of records, mm -hmm. selling records, actually making enough money to sell records that the artist made money, that the label made money, mm -hmm. to now it's just in a really weird transition to where it's trying to find its value again, mm -hmm. I would say. I mean, I would imagine that where it's going to be is music is going to be more like a utility, like air and really? water and light. If you come in your house... People don't want to buy one-off product. People do once in a while, but the masses seem to want... They'd like music for free, but if all music was free, nobody could make it. How could you make music if you can't feed your kids sure. and your family and, and do it? So, I mean, I see music being, when you look at the subscription services like Spotify and Pandora and all that, mm -hmm. it's going to be an all-you-can-eat music buffet. You're just going to... Just like if you pay for electricity, it's a wonderful thing to have. It's not free. Do you think radio is going to go that way? Do you, think, do you think radio is going to go that way? You're like, I, I, I You'll still have radio servicing mm -hmm. local, live and local, and doing their national platforms like they do. But I believe consumption. So you're still going to hear things from multiple. You're going to hear podcasts. You're mm -hmm. going to hear live shows. You're going to hear radio. You're going to make your own playlist. There's going to be multiple ways to find music. But as far as the consumer... I think the only way that it's going to get monetized is to be a full subscription service. Okay. Imagine, like, people like music, so they know how to find it for free, so they want it to be for free. <laughs> but eventually, somebody will figure out that music has a value, and you can't, everybody can't have it for free, or you'll run out of music. So it's going to be like coming home and turn on your lights. If you paid your electric bill, you could use all the electric you want all day and night, run mm -hmm. everything in your house. You've said this before. Yeah, if you don't pay it, <laughs> if you don't pay your lights, there's no lights on in the house. There's no water to drink from if you don't pay the water bill. At some point, that's the way it's going to go. But uh, 
that's the biggest change in the industry is how to wow. get to that point. Mm. So what, what advice would you give for a songwriter or a young artist that's wanting, or, or somebody wanting to be in the music business coming, well, they're actually they're three all different, so different answers. Yeah, that's yeah that's three different answers. Things. So well, let's take them one But they all time. involve the first thing. An Don't artist, quit. a brand new artist coming to town, what advice would you give them? Not to come to town until you've already done something. Okay. When, this, when it, what's the something you're referring the to? The something. Build a following. Do some record. You don't now have to move to town to go to some giant elaborate studio that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars right. to prove that you're an artist. The cost to record on your own computer, there's just so many acts that sure. come here, their business model's done. They've got their websites, their blogging, their social media stuff is huge. They've already recorded 20, 30 songs that sound the way they want them to sound. Mm -hmm. um, you can always get a bigger producer and, and make things a little brighter and shinier, but people that just come here and go, okay, mm -hmm. make me famous, probably succeed the least. Okay, so, you're, so, so back in the day, that's a great change than was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you couldn't they wanted the to take an artist and they wanted to develop you. They wanted to, to basically tell you how to look, how to sound, how to, yes. what, how to sing, blah, 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 blah. Now they're saying come to town with that already in hand. You know, the, and it's not even that they, if you're talking about like the big labels are saying that, it's just that that is what's coming to town and winning. It's like oh, okay, okay. the product dictates what product wins. It's like okay. you show up to town, you're the greatest singer ever, but your songs are mediocre and you don't mm -hmm. have a following. Well, guess what? Ten minutes after your meeting's done, there's somebody that showed up that they're just as great of a singer and they've recorded 20 songs and they've got a following and they're selling product already. Sure. So it's not like we make up the rules. It's just that's what's getting signed because that's how tough the competition is. Okay, all right. So you have a new songwriter coming to town. What advice would you give them? Network. Okay. That's it. Really? Just network? Go everywhere. When you say network, now 20 years ago, network meant go hang out in bars. Uh, bars, AA meetings, bars, <laughs> anywhere, wherever you can find somebody that can sing your song. I mean, let's be real. Songwriters Anonymous. <laughs> yeah, anywhere. I mean, networking is network. Like when I told you I bought a silly book that told me where people eat breakfast, trust me, I was in the bars late at night trying to find them, but I also went to breakfast to find this guy at a waffle house because it said he ate there three times a week <laughs> and ate more waffles to be the size I am just to find that guy. You... You've got to go wherever because the door you're most likely to knock on is is a normally a big no. Sure, sure. You know, so I, I tried. I tried. I didn't do a very good job of staying out of the bars. Uh, Robert Ellis Oral told me twenty years ago. He said, "There's really no point in going into those bars." He said, "You can go into those bars, and ten years later, you'll still see the same people in those bars." He said, "But those people in those bars, nine times out of ten, are not the people that you that are calling the shots down on the road." Correct. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'm not saying find the guy sitting on the bar stool drinking. See, that was my problem. That's what I did. Well, that's what most people do. Most people go, and those people have either never had success or they had success and it's gone away. I, it really taints artists. If sure. you just come in and hang in the bar scene and listen to people in the bar scene, you'll be surely convinced you can't do it. Yeah. But you will find an artist that's playing. You'll find somebody that's brilliant that's there to see somebody playing. Mm -hmm. That you, The hardest thing to do is go walk up on one of the six big doors or one of the six big publishers and knock and say, 
I'm really good, can I have a meeting? That's a no. You've got to go find them somewhere else. I'm telling you, you can do it. They have a door and a receptionist and they take meetings, but it's a crazy path to try and go that way. Be creative. Um, so the last part was, okay, so you have somebody that they're, they're not interested in being an artist. They're not interested in being a songwriter. They're interested in being in the music business. They want to do what you did. What would you suggest? Because it's a different model today than it even was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Study business. Okay. So you're just no, all business. business. Or the business? No, or music business. Oh, okay, music business. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, there's, you've got MTSU. In fact, you've got all kinds of... Belmont, you've got great programs across the whole country, not just here. But other than that, you don't have to, you know, Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs didn't go to college. (laughs) You don't have to go to college. But he knew programming and coding and computers. Know the business. Mm -hmm. Understand all the business. Understand what charts are and data and how things work. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. be smarter than everybody else that wants to do. Because who doesn't want a job? There's never a help-wanted Drink, True. eat steaks, hang out with your friends, and go to concerts every night. Join right. the music business. Right, right, right. Completely. That, that sign's never there. You got to work. You know, you've got to work your way in. Name some artists that you because didn't you didn't you either work with or you got them their record deal? Trick Pony. No, I worked with Trick Pony. They had okay. a deal. I helped okay. them after they had their second deal. Okay. Um, at, at Curb Boy, let's just go artists I've worked with. I can't. It's too long. It's really. Oh yeah. Well, just give me a handful. Tim McGraw, Leanne Rimes, Hank Williams Jr., Alabama, Tracy Bird, Martina McBride, Lee Bryce. Uh, good, good, good. We all go. great artists. So, so the and the point being is, and the reason I'm trying to get you to say that is because this advice that you're giving people, you're not somebody that wants to be in the business. You're not somebody that is pretending to be in the business. You're somebody that has, you're ingrained in the business. You're there. You are in the trenches and have been for decades. And uh, I mean, I've personally been on the the promo team, either the exact team from the label Mm -hmm. or hired as secondary help. And I've worked more than 100 number one songs on the country format. So Wow. Yeah, wow. I mean it's so that's crazy. But you just—it's time. You just sure do it. So yeah. So my my advice is real. My advice always, always not always, comes from though a true absolute outsider that was told there's no way you can ever work in Nashville. There's no way you don't. You're not part of the Good Boy Network. You're not from here. You don't like. There's just no way that mm-hmm. you're going to do this. And I was told that every day. So really. That's why you find alternative ways to meet people. Okay. And, you know, just like you be creative as an artist, be creative if you want to get into the business of how you're going to do this. Sure. Well, that makes perfect sense. Well, you know, after how long had you worked in the business when you go, okay, I'm a part of this family now? Oh, for country? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe when you yes, can even do a first. Yeah, no, you never really. You're always never really officially told me. You're always expanding your. uh, When did I first feel? I think when I got my job with RCA Records. That was the first. Like when I got an elevator and went up, and there was all the plaques, and there was some great mentors and people. Like that's that's the first time in my life I was like, holy crap, I'm in the music business. There you go. Yeah. 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 I'm actually. Here's a business card that says I'm in the music. I'm in the music. I look at it. I was staring at it at night. Like Steve Martin, your name in the phone book. I made it. It's exactly what it was like. Oh, yeah. Look, it's me in the card. That may be the first time like an artist lists you on their liner notes. I still remember being in an Alabama record or Martina. Who was the first one to do that? 
it may have been Martina McBride. She's one of the coolest people I've ever worked with. But beautiful. Yeah, I think it was her. And then who, has sure. anybody ever mentioned you in a like a awards like the, the awards no, or whatever? No. I'd like to thank them. <laughs> yeah, Here's not yet. Michaels. No, that that doesn't happen. I have uh, <laughs> I have secret happen. cues with artists I work with since they really can't name everybody. I always tell them if you tug, when they blink, they're yeah, referring if to me. If you tug on your left shoulder during the awards, I'll tell everybody I'm sitting on the couch. If he tugs on his left shoulder, that's him telling me thank you. I'm telling, I'm telling you <laughs> if he blinks. If He's referring to me. That's what he's talking about. (laughs) No. You only get to thank about three people, and I don't think I've quite made it to one of the three you have to thank. So what got you? uh, Oh, wait, we're talking national TV. Award (laughs) shows, yeah. I mean, you know, BMI presentations and everything else, yeah, people get their number one records, but not when they thank their mom, God, and the dog. Right. I haven't made it to that position. position. Yes, I haven't made it in that that position yet. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what you know I met you in 94 and it was when you were taking boxing classes what you know and then and then worked your corner when you boxed on the music road came in second place buddy yeah did you, silver hey, metal the greatest thing about boxing you can't come in any less than second place <laughs> it is, I like that it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing You're like how, how'd you do I came in second, second place second place man that's right that's right uh, how'd you do in Golden Gloves came in second place <laughs> So, uh, um, so you know, with that being said, well, what made you decide, hey, I'm going to do boxing. I'm going to go do this. Oh, I had been in a horrible car wreck where I broke my neck, my head, my ribs, my back. I was laid up for eight months after running a, a, off a cliff and uh, had put on 40-something pounds, hadn't moved or walked or anything. So somebody threw the challenge at me of in four months, if you can get ready, you can do this boxing match and raise mm-hmm. money for kids. So that was my rehabilitation. Okay. I, I, I meant the not because you actually started in 94. What got, oh, that. Initially, that, yeah. What, just, initially. Somebody said it was just fun. I'd been in a bunch of fights as kids, so it okay. seemed like fun. Until you get around somebody like you that really boxes, <laughs> and you think you're doing good, and they knock the crap out of you, and you're going, wow, boxing might be actually a scientific skill that requires time and dedication, <laughs> not anger. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it was a, it, it, that was a unique experience for me, because that was before I even went pro, and that was, um, I, I hadn't boxed in probably... Oh, oh, and I hate to interrupt there. But that was also the creative way to network because Cindy Wunsch was there. Doug Johnson was there. And I went to go get beat up to meet people. And Russ Zabitson. And Russ Zabitson. There was, yeah, there, yeah. Was, there was a whole That's lot of music all people of them. Yeah, yeah. that went to that place to train and punch each other. And it was easier to go get punched than it was to get a meeting through any of their doors. Yep. yep. That's a true statement. And I... I yeah. Well, I didn't take the job for that reason. I took the job because I was only getting paid like $50 a week to ride at a publishing company down right. there. So I was like, I'm about to starve to death. I was sleeping on a floor. And I'm fixing to tell you something that you don't know because you said, well, we were working together and then all of a sudden we weren't. I don't, I don't remember what happened. I'm fixing to tell you what happened. Right. So uh, uh, I was starving to death and I was doing that and I was like, hell, I'm not a box. I'll just go teach boxing lessons because I heard that this guy was looking for somebody. I was a real fighter. I wasn't, you right. know, I wasn't. And then and they, he goes you in there. You were a real good fighter. <laughs> you were. And still probably are. No, I'm old. I'm old man now. So he goes, uh, uh, go, go in there and t- teach these guys how to box and stuff. I said, okay, all right. And then he wanted me to spar with them. And I, 
I didn't, you know, I thought, okay, we're going to spar, you know, and these guys come at me, pow, you know, and hit them, no, 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 don't really hit them, don't really hit them. <laughs> we need them to come back. We want them to come back. You know, just touch them. Touch I remember them. the first time ever being hit by real from you or the first time being hit by Frank Wood. I mean, and they, you don't forget it the first time that your trainer actually goes, okay, I'm going to hit them once and let them know what a real punch feels like. <laughs> but it was that whole salesmanship thing that Frank Wood had. Or, he was like, you can't really hit them. You got to think they're, you got to make them think they're doing good. Just put your hands up and block and dodge and, and, and whatever. And I'm like, Okay, all right. He was paying me, so I'm like, I'll just let him beat on me. Okay, that's cool. Um, and it wasn't until I came back, and then I left town. There was some things that went down that I wasn't happy with. I left town and, and uh, didn't come back till 97. Wow, okay. So there you go. And then we reconnected. And then we reconnected and, at, at that particular point. And, and uh, uh, yeah, so that it, it was then that I was actually living in my car. And once again, these opportunistic, opportunistic, oppor, I don't know what the hell I'm These opportunities. Up in Boxing been good to me. Uh, <laughs> no, so somebody offered me 200 bucks to fight a pro fight. And they didn't know that I even knew how to box or anything. Right. I was some homeless guy. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then that's how that whole thing came about. I knocked the guy out the first round and... And became the honky tonk hitman. Became the honky tonk hitman, and, and I love uh, the imaging at all. Trust me, I'm in the entertainment business. That was good. It was a good image. It was good. It was a good image and persona, and and uh, yeah, but it, 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 you know, you get. Uh, I wanted to have hit records. I didn't want to get hit on. <laughs> yeah. Not in that way, anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was it was it was crazy. Um, the the last thing I'll say is uh, this town is blowing up. It's the, the town that we have now in Nashville is completely different than what we remember it coming here 22, 23 years ago. Um, what is your take on the music business, the town, and everything else, and moving forward? Do you think that, that you know, you said you, you, told, again, you said the platforms. Eight questions here. You, Go said, ahead. you yeah. said the platform. You said right. how you thought the platform of the music was going to be delivered Correct. to people. Uh, and if I could go back, I'll tell you, anybody that's wanting to break into something, read a book called Tribes by Seth Godin. Really? What is what is the... Tribes is a book that talks about in the old days when you want to know how, why music business has changed so much. Okay. In the old days, an artist would come out, make a single. If you went to 30, you made a video. If you made it past that, you were gold. Once you were mm-hmm. gold, Kenny Chesney put you on tour. That put you to play. Everything had... You were, you were a shotgun blast. You were everything to everybody. Okay. But there was very, you know, there was six channels on TV, and there wasn't all the internet. There wasn't. There was very few channels, and everything made sense. Mm-hmm. Now you've got five hundred different places that people can go entertain themselves. So if you're everything to everybody, you kind of miss a mark. You've got to pick your tribe. Who am I talking to? And you find that audience, and you make them believe in you. And they spread your word. They, it's too hard. And just that's that's your path. That's when to do something. Just figure out. Taylor Swift figured out it was a young, teenage kid that was going through the same hormonal thoughts as her. Mm-hmm. Heavy metal bands go for the angry teenager that's mad at their parents. And when I was growing, that you want to be the rebellion. Everybody find find something and 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 go that route. You know, it's. I like that. And yeah. it's a book called Tribes. Tribes by Seth Godin. It'll really make sense for helping you hmm. as crazy as as fast as this town's building, as diverse as it's getting to be. 
you can't be everything to everybody. You just got to be something really cool to one group, and they'll tell other people. Find your niche, and then and then yeah. and then uh, everything else will take care yeah. of itself. That's interesting, and you and, and obviously you sound like you could teach a class on this. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, it's it's uh, you're a last 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 question. Yeah. Uh, what is would you say was the one biggest failure you've had? in your career, meaning that, you know, you made some kind of egregious error and something happened, or what would you say, and also what was your biggest success? Wow, that takes some thought. (laughs) I have made every mistake you can make in life and in business. Okay, let's just go with, all right. <laughs> On my way to becoming a musical person, a record man, you have to do anything to survive. So I convinced my wife that there was a giant street fair in Cleveland and we should take all of the earnings, everything we had, the money out of the mattress, the the pennies we could find on the floor of the car and buy egg rolls and put them on a stick because you can get hot dogs and pizza every day, but you can't buy an egg roll on a stick. <laughs> and we called it rock and roll egg rolls. And we took every penny we had, put them into a giant deal, and the first day we were selling them like crazy, and then the second day there was a storm, and it blew out the electric in the refrigerator that had all of our egg rolls on a stick. They all went rancid, (laughs) and we couldn't sell them, and we lost everything. So putting egg rolls on sticks and trying to sell them was my biggest failure to date. (laughs) Not the story you wanted, but that's the one that sticks out. It's okay. You know, it's it's one of those... You live and you learn kind of success or failure stories. And and biggest success in my life would be the woman that I just wasted her entire life's money and put her through hell, being married to a drummer, still married to me 27 years. Absolutely. Those would be the two things. I know they're not music-based, but that's the win. Having a successful relationship in this business for as long as you have is a success story in itself. My 27 years with Windchill counts as 36 years. On technically on record. <laughs> oh wow, golly! All right, anything else you want to add before we uh, wrap this thing up? I'll go back to one last story. Okay. Of survival in this town, if you're going to move here. When I first moved here, and like you, when I told you I ran out of money, mm-hmm. you ran out of money, lived in the car. I met two songwriters by the name of Val and Bird. I don't know if they ever had a hit. I'm not sure. They were characters. They were, they were. When you ran around at night, you found Valenbird. They sold cigarettes out of their trunk. They they handed out demos. They 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 were just true street like hustlers. And uh, when I told them how broke I was and I was hungry, they they're like, oh well, let me. T- here's how you live in Nashville. So this is how far you got to go back. Um, they said on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, there's a Mexican restaurant called Rio Bravo, and it was on Broadway, where Stony River is now. Okay. And you can get Oh, a, I do remember Rio Bravo. You yes. can get a Bud Light or a Budweiser for $1, and while you're drinking that, they had tacos out. They had a free buffet where you can make ground meat and lettuce and tomato or whatever and so you can buy two beers for two dollars and be there almost an hour and a half and probably eat your body weight in taco meat and shells <laughs> now that was only monday wednesday and friday so if you wanted to survive on tuesdays and thursdays you had to go to danzo's which is where the mellow mushroom is now but danzo's used to put out pizzas under a hot lamp and sell beers for a dollar and as long as you were sitting at your table and drinking a beer you can eat Two, like we literally lived on pizza on Tuesday and Thursday, your two beers, mm-hmm. and then Rio Bravo, 
And I said, well, what do we do on the weekends? Now, this is, I don't mean to sound shady, but this is what they did. They said, we go shopping. And I said, well, you can't go shopping. I don't have any money. They said, you go shopping, not buying. They said, you go to Kroger, and you take the cart, and you go through, and you get the lunch meat out and you buy some bread and you fill up your cart and while you're shopping you put a little lunch meat on the bread <laughs> and then you open up one of the cans in the six pack and he said there's technically at the time 32 grocery stores and he said i always figured that once i had a hit i'd go back and pay them all back but that's how they lived until they made it and got a single you know what you you, fi- you do what you gotta do and you figure a way to survive you know and i i got i, I wish you knew what happened to him yeah, yeah, no, but I know that if they ever made enough money, they actually went back and paid for the lunch. Oh, meeting. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, you know, uh, were they good writers? Do you remember? We don't know any songs by them, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they just taught me how to survive. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, uh, so uh, what? What are your? What are? You, what is? What are some things that you want to accomplish that you have left to do that you want to do in the business that you haven't yet? Break more acts. The world needs to listen to Michael Ray and High Valley. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else? Well, there's all you kinds want to push? of friends. Those are the ones that they're currently paying me in my current <laughs> position to be pushing. <laughs> Off the record, there's a really hot act called Sister C that you might want to go find as well. But Country? After you've bought and listened to Michael Ray and High Valley <laughs> extensively, <laughs> go and listen to Sister C. <laughs> You're not right, man. (laughs) The third band was not paid for by the management. (laughs) Okay. Here you go. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Hopefully you got what you need there. I I got bored. Oh, my God. That was hilarious. Oh. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to the About Nashville podcast. Please support us by going to iTunes and subscribing, rating, and leaving a review. See y'all next week.